Testing, testing, one, two, three. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 11 of The Mana Dies. I am your host, Simon, joined by who? I'm, I'm your other host, Daniel. What's up? Well, How are you doing, Simon? Oh, man, I'm okay. I'm okay. You know, it's a, what is it, Thursday night? Thursday night? Not used to potting on the potting on a weekend. You don't know want to snow in a... You guys getting a lot of snow in Massachusetts too? We have been. Uh, we're expecting to get like three inches tomorrow. Yeah, we got like, like six that. from that. Yikes. The yeah. storm from Texas apparently blew all the way up. But... Yeah, it's moving towards us now. Looking like Caldheim out there, huh? Oh, wow. So relevant. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay. So this week, Simon, we're doing a classic podcast segment. Every MTG creator has done it before. We're doing under and overrated. Wow. We've got a list a list of things on here on our little uh, podcast outline that each of us either thinks is overrated or underrated. Probably gonna disagree about a few of these, but let's start let's start off with the easy Wait, one. Let me let's add one. let me add one to the beginning. Okay. <laughs> so how do you feel about podcasts about rating things? Underrated um, or overrated? Honestly, underrated. It's good content. <laughs> uh, I mean, the, the one the one I listen to and I'm like, all right, we should just copy them is the the MTG Rants podcast. They're like Pioneer focused or whatever, but... Pioneer focused? I don't know. It's just, yeah, well, they, they used to be the Pioneer podcast, but then like Pioneer got really bad. So then they rebranded to MTG Rants, but now Pioneer's like actually good again. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Rating things is good content. There's something like in your uh, in your little animal brain that's like wants to compare stuff. So. Well, yeah, it just draws out opinions naturally, right? It's like, here's the thing. How do you feel about thing? And that's, I mean, that's. I feel like that's what the real heart and soul of podcasting is. It's just how do you feel about yeah, thing? And when you're just given a, a straightforward opportunity to just like riff on things, it's it's good. I don't know. I, I I had more specific ideas in mind when I started saying that, but kind of kind of <laughs> fell by the wayside by the end. All right, yeah. all right. Okay, so but before we get into the nitty gritty MPG ones, let's start off with an easy one. Okay, French fries. The French concept fries. of French fries. Not any specific French fry. How do you how do you feel about French fries? Over or underrated? That's difficult. I think. French fries as a as a concept encapsulates too large a range of quality of food for me to say underrated overrated. Sure. Right? Like Okay. I've had some really fucking good French fries. Like perfectly fried, crispy on the outside, soft on the inside. Just like <laughs> dip it in your condiment of choice, eat it. Just feel happy as the starch hits your tongue. It's just like Ugh. I like it. It's not it's not a meal. But it is food, right? It is good food. It is good food. I think in terms of like, okay, there there are many foods in in the world that can deliver like salt very efficiently to your body. Oh yeah. And I think French fries is like the king of the salt delivery systems. Gonna have to also disagree the, with you there. Really? Okay. I think tortilla chips, for me at least, are the king. That's cat. salt delivery. Especially extremely salty tortilla chips. Looking at you. You'd rather have a tortilla chip over a french fry? Oh, ooh, yeah, I think so. I think pretty easily. Okay. I think I like <laughs> what I put on tortilla chips more than what I put on fries. 
That's it's true. Fries, too. right? I do like ketchup, aioli. If I'm at some fancy place making fancy Ooh, fries, right. but like tortilla chips, it's like you got your salsa, you got guac, you got your hummus. If you're a hummus fanatic like I am, there's just there's so many options. That's true. I think like the the things that you can deliver to yourself on the chip are better on average than the things you can put on the French fry. You know. We yeah. got queso, salsa, guacamole. Those are pretty bang. We got like so. cheesy fries, right? Versus like nachos. Mm. Like similar, similar food delivery. But like, I feel like I'd still want to eat nachos because on top of those That's nachos, true, yeah, yeah. you can put more stuff, right? Like, I mean, like, I guess there's poutine. Poutine's kind no, of crazy. Poutine's awful. <laughs> You're not a big fan of poutine? I'm not a big fan of poutine. I gotta be real with you. <laughs> I've never eaten poutine because, like, the only time I've ever been exposed to it was before I stopped being a vegetarian. Sure, but, like, sure. Everyone around me, as they ate the poutine, was was endlessly letting me know how good it was <laughs> and how much I was missing out on. So I just kind of assumed it was just this thing <laughs> that everyone loves. Maybe we need to get you some poutine, man. I mean, I it may be in the cards. <laughs> Speaking of in the cards, <laughs> transition. All right. So let's start small. Let's start small. Let's start with a small, seemingly inconspicuous card that was banned pretty quickly in a lot of formats when it came out, right? I mean, how quickly was Deathrite Shaman banned in modern? It was banned pretty quick in modern. I think it, it really took a long time in Legacy, though. Like, way too long. To yeah, it did. It, it, was, it, was, it was in the format for quite a while. It's a strong but, card, but you have it here on Wolverine. In Commander? Yeah. In Commander, I'm just like I'm not sold on Deathrite Shaman, dude. Like, really? Everyone, everyone calls it the the like one mana planeswalker. It's like I feel like a lot of people like the first uh, Golgari deck you build, people just kind of jam Deathrite Shaman into it because of its reputation. Like at least that's what I did when I first built like a a black green X deck. But I mean, okay, so like Commander is really different from all these one v one formats. Mainly because like the the second the, the second and third abilities of Deathrite Shaman are just so much less impactful in Commander. Like gaining two life is whatever, and like draining one player for two is kind of a joke. Yeah. And then if you when you take that away, you're really looking at a at a Birds of Paradise that also needs people to have fetches in their graveyard. And at that point, I'm just like I'm not sold on it. You know, I'm just yeah. not sold. on it. I mean, I feel like it's utility. You maybe are underestimating its utility as like targeted graveyard removal. I think especially the creature, uh, the creature line attacks. It can be good, especially if your meta has a lot of like graveyard interaction based decks. That's true. Like, that's it's, true. it's very cheap. There's very little downside because it also serves as a mana dork. Um, and I think definitely in like a black green deck where you're not running every fetch you can run in those colors, it's a lot worse. I think yeah. the more colors you get, the more fetches you're running, the more like lands you're putting in your graveyard, the better it gets. Mm-hmm. Like I run it in four color dredge, because I have most of the fetches, and I'm yeah, running, you just put your whole library. And, yeah, in your you're dumping your li- library in your graveyard. You can, you know, you can fuel it somewhat. Uh, it's true, right? It basically reads like a one mana, one two mana dork a lot of the time. Um, but when it does do something else, it's 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 free, right? It's free something else. As far as mana dorks go. Yes, its conditional effect hurts it a little bit, but it also has some upside to affect it. I don't know if I'd say it's a ridiculous card in EDH, but I'd say it's definitely a strong card. I think if you're building like your four-color dredge deck, 
if you're building with the idea of like really leveraging that early mana advantage, it's powerful. But like, I, I'm talking about like the like very grindy, very like, I guess like dirtily is the word like like a Marin deck or something like that. Like Deathrite Shaman like isn't doing a whole lot there. And I've also I've I've come to find that the the graveyard hate I want in Commander is is really not the like targeted single thing you know like, i'd much rather if i if i'm going to include a card because of its ability to hit on the graveyard i'd rather include something that can like take out a whole bunch of different like reanimation targets at once rather than just death Red shaman because it's very rare that like um like okay you have death Red shaman out and then they like your opponent has their reanimate in their hand and it gets stranded that way like really, like what what happens more often is that like you have your death Rite shaman in play, and then they play like living death, or they play rise of the dark realms, and then you're like, okay, well, <laughs> I mean, I'll, I'll exile your like your like big Eldrazi or whatever that's in the graveyard, like your Ulamog, the ceaseless hunger that's in the graveyard, but they're still going to get a bunch of other things. So I don't know. Yeah. I think like I think yeah, if you're trying to le- leverage the early man advantage, I think it's really solid, but I would implore a bunch of other deck builders to maybe look at what Deathrite Shaman is actually doing in their deck. Yeah, so it should be more like when you put it in, you should really only be considering it a mana deck. You shouldn't be, like, the lines of text yes. are there, but you're not... And which in some ways almost makes it, like, not worth putting in, especially if you're only playing black-green, right? Because there are so yeah. many one-mana mana elves that make black-green and green mana. Like, why bother with a Deathrite Shaman? outside if you're looking for one more i don't know does it would it would it get priority over like elves of deep shadow for you um i honestly okay if, if i'm building a graveyard deck i honestly don't know because i i once okay so if there's, there's like a part of my deck that's built around like exploding the graveyard resources i want to have like that part of my deck but i also want to have like the part of my deck that's concerned with like card draw and mana ramp not be so dependent on my graveyard plane working out. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like I don't, I don't want them to like slam a rest in peace and then I'm like, oh shit, like okay, like all, all these cards in my hand are turned off. And in addition my mana dork is turned off so I can't Yeah you know, like, like try to dig out of it, you know? Yeah, a hand with a death rate shaman and no fetches in it. Um yeah it's, that's it's relying on a lot. It's relying on your opponents sublime. Yeah. Which, you know, is pretty consistent, right? On all levels of play. Like, evol- yeah. from fetches all the way down to evolving wilds and tap tap fetches and stuff like that. I mean, it's a, yeah. it's definitely something that exists. So in some ways, like, especially if you know who you're playing with. I mean, even if you don't. I feel, I, I mean, that may be the other thing that we're not <laughs> considering here, right? Is that, is that like, fetch lands of all, of all varieties and budgets are ubiquitous enough in the format that, like, it's going to be a very rare game with that right shaman. Is yeah, it I guess turned on. Maybe I should just pay more attention to how often fetches are getting played, because in my mind it's not that often, but maybe it is actually a lot higher than I'm admitting. Because like myriad landscape, evolving wild stuff like that. I don't know. I yeah, don't know. and like I don't, I, I never played it in paper. I mean, obviously online with the fetch lands being much cheaper, it's much, it's That's much, true. much more common. To see people play that, and even when people aren't playing the fetches, they're still playing Evolving Wilds. Um, what's that? What's that? Um, Ash Barons? Is that the yeah Ash, yeah, Ash Barons stuff like that? I mean, there's there's so many options for it. Or like, 
if you're playing a mill deck even of some sort. But I guess the, the problem is, right, if you're playing a turn one mana deck, you want it to be online turn two. Yeah. You want to get to... It's like, if, I, if I'm if i playing a turn one mana dork, I want to have three mana on turn two. Like, yeah. that's what I'm playing around. And if that's something that your deck really relies on, it's definitely, like, you should definitely... I think that's exactly the, the scenario where you don't put it in your deck. It's like, if you always need three mana, if you have a three mana commander, if you consistently want to make a turn uh, like a, a turn two play for three mana, if you want to play call three turn two every every flipping game. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, okay, well then focus on that and not the slight upside on a mana dork. <laughs> now, if they were unbanded in modern, hey, now we're talking. Maybe. Okay, well, I think that's highly <laughs> unlikely. <laughs> Okay, so next set of cards, kind of related to Death Red Shaman. Um, we've got Fetchland Mana Bases. Over or underrated? Oh my god. <sighs> I haven't... I mean, once again, going back to Four Color Dredge, is this just like <laughs> Four Color Dredge evaluation? Um, playing with... Like, I don't have Fetchlands in paper. They've always been kind of too much for me. It's just like... it's. I don't know, it's kind of silly to not spend mana, money on them because they're always going to be relevant. Like, especially now player. especially now it's like now they're just so so restrictive cost wise that's like it's just not going to happen um they are confirmed to be reprinted in modern horizons too it we'll see what happens it never does anything is the thing the demand is just that's too high the there's just no reason for shops to drop the price because people that will want to buy them will buy them you know it's like that was that was the funny thing about modern horizons one like uh yeah, like Scalding Tarn increased in price. I remember like Thoughtseize increased in price for a few months. Snapcaster made so maybe the reprint is actually like not what we're looking for. But I don't they know. they need to just put them on that the list. You know those cards that can just like show up in booster packs. Randomly. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. They just need to put it on the list for every set. Just that'd be so cool. Constantly inject a steady but not huge supply of fetch lands into the account. That's all they need to do. It's like that's. All right, I'm going to get sidetracked on a little... On a little sure, rant. sure. Like, all my... Okay, pro, my problems with, like, reserve lists and stuff like that aside, I think the scarcity of the best lands in the game outside of reserve list lands, right? Like, of the fetch lands, mm -hmm. is the biggest mistake that Wizards of the Coast is making. Okay. I think, like, mean, it just... It, just here, go, ahead. Go, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Okay, it makes the barrier to entry, right to every format besides standard so high that I think they're losing out on a large, it's quite possible they're losing out on a large amount of customers. Obviously they've done more yeah. market research than me, but I think like for me, that was always, I mean, a, the reason I originally got into EDH, which is good for them. Like they, they're enjoying that. Right. was because I stand, I found standard to be atrociously boring <laughs> <laughs> and modern was like, Oh, I need to buy $800 worth of fetches yeah. to, play, to play this deck not gonna happen well i mean when i when i like first started getting getting into modern like one of the the first like goals or quests i'd set for myself was to buy a full a full playset of all the cons fetches back when it was like back in a uh, like 2016 back when they were at a pretty low point honestly um just because i recognize that uh when you're playing modern when you're playing a non-standard or non-commander whatever uh an eternal format they they just they really are like the price of entry. They really are um, like any deck you're gonna play besides like Amulet Titan or Tron or whatever is gonna rely on fetches in some some respect. So yeah, there's just like there's there's always a ton of demand for them, and it's like the market is nowhere near saturated. It's kind of weird that uh, Wizards hasn't 
I don't know. I guess it's not that weird because they like money, but but it's also it is free money for them. It's literally just free yeah. money. Every set with the fetch land sells like insane. That's why I mean, Cons was an amazing set because the limited environment was was great. Yeah, and they printed fetch lands, and it, people people bought that shit up. I mean, <laughs> it's funny, right? Because I, when I really started getting back into Magic, was during Cons of Tarkir. I opened up a wooded foothills. I was like, and I was still at that point where I was like, fetch lands. This 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 is terrible. Yeah, I'm gonna sell this for sixty We've bucks. Give me four copies of Traumatized, please. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've all been there. So it it seems like to me, uh, we're kind of leaning towards maybe appropriately appropriately rated, maybe it's, underrated. It feels so good to play a four color mana base with fetch lands. Like, yeah, I think it's highly unlikely. I honestly ever even build a third a three color deck again in paper until I bite the bullet and buy fetches at some point in my life. <laughs> Just because, yeah. like, the feeling of never having to worry about your colors, pretty much. It's like, I'm mm-hmm. running, like, 30, 30 lands, 32 lands in my dredge deck, right? Like, not a ton of lands, and I never, I always get four colors in, like, the first three turns. It's just, it's yeah. that easy with fetch lands. Yeah. When, when I'm building a mana base, like, what I'm, what I'm looking to do, like, the goal I have in mind is to expand the, the like, the range of keepable hands that I can draw. And fetch lands just they do that so efficiently. Like a three color, four color deck, you draw two fetch lands. It's like okay, your man is perfect, you know. And you can draw any of those two fetch lands. So it's just yeah. I mean, probably maybe probably appropriate rated, maybe underrated fetch lands. Buy them if you have the money, reprint them, all that jazz. Here is a, t- a time when fetch lands are overrated though. Monocolored decks. <laughs> yeah do not buy them to thin your deck you that do need you do not need to 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 hornet sting yourself for a mountain okay <laughs> not yeah. not necessary okay and to expand on that lands thing right i mean lands in general in edh overrated uh-huh. underrated what do you think well okay i put this one on here because you told me something that i think is insane you're running 30 32 lands in your mono red deck uh less than that 30 lands maybe 30 it might be down to 29 let me check real quick oh my gosh oh my gosh i i don't know how to process that that information i look i'm firmly in the camp that magic players in general and commander players especially are still not including enough lands in their deck and um my reasoning there is that in this new era of, of design or whatever, all the cards replace themselves. You're never going to run out of cards. You just need the mana to cast them. And lands help you cast your spells. <laughs> I just, I, I'm at the point, like, I don't feel comfortable leaving the house without, like, 37 lands. 37 lands? I'm running 29 lands <laughs> and three zero mana mana rocks in Mono Red Storm. Okay. <laughs> We yeah we are different players. We're different players. <laughs> but let me just say this, okay? I think the problem is not that people are not including enough lands. I think the problem is that people are including too many spells that cost eight mana. That is true. Like that is. True. I think my my interest in eight mana spells has really gone out the window almost entirely. Especially, I feel like a lot of the fire design eight mana spells. I don't know. They're just boring. It's like, oh, I want to, I want to, like, remember that cycle of nine mana, like, do a, do things, like, Memnonic Deluge and, like, Reshape the Earth? 
from Commander Legends. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I looked at those cards and I was like, why would I ever want to cast any of those cards? Okay, I, I'm kind, of, I'm kind of with you, except like in decks where I'm like really trying to ramp. Like I'm playing like all my, all the mana ramp spells in green. Um, I, yeah, like my my interest in eight mana dum dums has kind of waned, but my my interest in like X spells that let me convert all my lands into cards or like do like insane stuff with X mana. That that interest is, is alive and well. You know, like I will always play as Sphinx's Revelation in Commander and a Torment of Hellfire, like all that stuff. But those those are kind of like the the cherry on top to having your mana situation uh figured out, right? Yeah, and I guess like the reality is right, like if I'm playing a deck that runs those high cost cards, I will play more lands, right? Like my my uh, teamer, teamer Storm, I'm running 36 lands plus 2 zero mana mana rocks. Like, I am playing more lands. But what like, are your zero mana mana rocks? Mana Crypt and Chrome rocks, and there's something else that's oh, okay. in there, too. Yeah, yeah. I just haven't stuck in yet. I mean, maybe it's just maybe it's just the MTGO has, like, really made me addicted to putting a bunch of cards in a deck and then just cutting cards <laughs> until I can't figure out what to cut and just be like, alright, we'll trim a land here, trim a land sure. here. It doesn't feel like I get mana screwed too often, though. And the reality is, right, like, when you're trying to play a game plan that, like, you have to, to keep a hand that accelerates you quickly, right, just to, like, get to, get to the point where you have enough mana to just, to just go off. I mean, in a lot of decks, right, like, green, any, any deck playing green, basically, you can do that consistently just because you're playing a bunch of ramp spells. You just play lands, play ramp spells, you have a bunch of mana, your cards replace themselves. In yeah. red, once again, you don't really have those options. Like, you can play a bunch of mana rocks and stuff like that, which I am. Like, by God, I am. But, like, <laughs> you aren't, your cards aren't necessarily going to replace themselves without Sokara on the field. That's true. So you kind of have to... You have to focus... Instead of just focusing on consistent land jobs, you have to focus on getting to... Like, I've won, I've won the game with the deck, right? With one, with one land on the field. Like... That's crazy. It, it, it is possible to do that. You just have to. I mean, it is lucky, obviously. But luck, is, <laughs> luck is. That's what red's all about. It's all about being lucky. Just like luck favors the prepared, right? Yeah. Well, luck favors the people who believe. <laughs> and, sure. And by God, okay. do I believe? <laughs> okay, so if we're actually again, again, I feel like I'm just discovering how how different way we think about things because. <laughs> I, I think lands are still underrated. You you seem to be the camp that, uh, I don't know. Well, the the kinds of decks you build, lands are kind of overrated for you, right? Yeah, I mean, I feel like yeah. I feel like the the need for always having thirty six lands is overrated. I think this is something. I mean, like you look at like competitive EDH, right, where they're running much much lower curves, mm-hmm. which is something that I I try and mimic now. And the fact that I'm like not even that I'm like making the deck stronger, just that I'm cutting the curve down as much as possible. Yeah, because I really have become a big fan of like having plays turns one, two, and three that aren't necessarily just like mana crypt ramp spell big thing, you know, or like yeah. mana, mana crypt ramp spell commander. I really, yeah. I actually really like playing like actually having a board state or a board presence in the first couple turns, even if it's not necessarily the strongest thing. I just like that kind of like I'm getting the the parts moving, like uh, immediately. It's like it's a it's that thing we talked about uh the first one to grab the napkin or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I want to grab the napkin first. I want to 
I want to I want to hit people with one ones on turn two. You know, it's like I yeah. I, I just kind of I feel that vibe. I mean, yeah. I, I can get down with that. I can get down with that. Yeah, like my mono black, the mono black kind of partner deck that I build. Uh, like curve ends is basically at five, right? Like, and the, even then, there might even be too many five mana spells in the deck. It's like six. It 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 used to be that like what you got for five mana was not a lot, but nowadays like. Five minute spells win the game on their own. So yeah, I mean, some of them literally do. Revel and Riches cards, pretty sweet. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> oh, I saw I saw this Twitter thread about like a Mardu Treasures deck that I, I actually might want to put together. What in in EDH or like modern? In in a uh, in EDH. Oh, there's just like there's so many random like really strong cards that. Um, it's like you, you don't think of, of treasures as like being like a synergy thing. Like you never notice the like oh like this one makes treasures and this one also makes treasures. But when you, when you put them together, I mean I don't know. There's... I mean yeah, and Call Time gave us some pretty sweet ones too, right? Yeah, yeah. They're like the the new dwarf like tutors dragons with treasure. That's cool exactly. as hell. Gadrak, Gadrak, Darkside extortionist. Oh yeah, those are yeah, yeah, that's a classic. <laughs> Smothering tithe. Those are treasures. Yeah, Dockside Extortionist. Uh, underrated or overrated? That that card is appropriately rated. Everybody knows it's insane. It's, it's just completely busted. <laughs> Not even a question. Nobody looks at that card and is like, yeah, that's a fair that's a fair card. It does fair things. Speaking of uh, red mana and artifacts, we got one you put on here. Yeah, so I, as a, as a film who plays red a lot, I, I think a lot about what, what primo artifact removal when putting my decks. And I've really shifted away. Like I used to always just put Vandal Blast in every red deck deck with red in it that I built. It was like, yeah, you know, Same. five mana destroy. And like the more I look at the other options recently, I've been like, wow, Vandal Blast often is just kind of sat in my hand, and I've not really wanted to spend my turn playing it. Yeah, or and, a lot of the times I'm just casting it not overloaded. Yeah, like, which is like you could do that with like Shattering Spree, and it should be just as good. Is that uh, the one that you've kind of moved on to? Shadow yeah, Shadow Spree is amazing. Replicate is really, really good. Right? Because making copies of it makes it harder to counter the copies, right? Like, you can, if you think someone has, if you know someone's a counter for the artifact, right? I'm pretty sure you can replicate and have two copies of it targeting yeah. targeting that thing. That's so how it, it works. It gets around counter spells. It's much more modular, so you can, like, if, there, if, someone, if someone has, like, like, let's say someone's mana screwed, right? And they have, like, three lands and a mana rock. And, like, you don't necessarily oh, yeah. want to make a feel-bad play. You could literally just walk around that with Shattering Spree. And you're not, like, you're not spending mana destroying anything you don't want to destroy. So, like, if you don't necessarily need to destroy, like, some dirty artifact or, like, there's a Howling Mind that's doing you more good than everyone else. Uh-huh. Though, I know you would always target a Howling Mind. I'm... <laughs> I'm not gonna... You think I would always target Howling? Ah, you, 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 uh, you know you would. Uh, yeah, I probably would. <laughs> I play a lot of card draw. Okay, <laughs> don't don't want to deal with that. Um, I've I've also seen people uh like CEDH decks playing Byforce recently, which is kind of like a Shattering Spree. It's uh, Byforce is X and a red sorcery destroy X target artifacts. So it's so it gives you that um that kind of modularity is that a word like the flexibility um to like not mana screw that guy or not blow up that howling mine but you can also uh you don't have to be like just in mono red to cast it yeah i mean of course right obviously a little worse than shattering spree just because it costs that extra red but 
Yeah, I'm I'm saying like it's still good. You can though. play like, it's a good. deck with by force. You can play a Mardu deck with by force. And like putting Shatter and Speed in that in the Yeah, that's right. true. Heavy red, yeah, yeah, outside red. Multicolor decks is a lot better. I mean, it's like a red divination, right? Pay three mana and destroy two artifacts. <laughs> is that is that how it works? <laughs> yeah, you know it, it's <laughs> Okay, maybe sure. <laughs> the red that would be the yeah, red. Like that would be the red here. Vandal Blast a little bit probably overrated. a little bit overrated at this point. Maybe one of the old standbys of EDH deck floating that should kind of go in the in the garbage bin. I mean, I think also right when artifact decks were more of a boogeyman in the format because there was a period of time right when like Arkham Dagson and stuff like that were like the some of the stronger things you could play. Just or because... right after right after Brea came out, like there were yeah, tons of Brea. Brea too, exactly right. Like after every commander. Exp- commander release that had an artifact commander in it. Vandal Blast, I'm sure, short in <laughs> popularity. Yeah. Because <laughs> that is a scenario right, where, like, if you know an opponent's always going to have, like, eight or more artifacts, or more than five artifacts on the field, right, yeah. in any given game, it's worth playing Vandal Blast. Just because it's like, all right, you're getting more than one one for one mana every time. Also, if, uh, if your Vandal Blast is just blowing up, like, mana rocks... And maybe, like someone's howling mine. Like that Vandal Blast is a lot different from the one that's blowing up, like uh, their Stronic Resonator and their like their Brea and their Microsynth. Oh, that wouldn't work. Don't do that. And they're like, they're <laughs> well, like, it does work and it works so like, well. <laughs> if a uh, if your Vandal Blast is like just getting you value and it's not really like removing something that's actually a threat to you, it's not really doing a whole lot. Besides making everyone want to want to hit you with your creatures. <laughs> exactly, exactly. All right, all right. So this next one I also put on here. Um, this would be a little a little polarizing one. It's already a polarizing topic in the community. Infinite combos, right? And it wouldn't be an EDH podcast if we didn't talk about infinite combos. Exactly. I mean, <laughs> I think I think infinite combos are way way overrated in terms of both their like even like power level and just like general like vibe of playing against. Yeah. I wanted to ask you, did, did you mean that like infinite, like people overestimate how strong infinite combos are? Or did you think, were you meaning like people like play infinite combos too much? Like, what did you mean by that? I think everything about them. Really? Okay. I feel like they're not necessarily super fun magic which I think yeah. a lot of people hold the opinion of. But I also don't think they're the only form of magic that's not very fun. I don't think they're necessarily always going to beat other strategies that are... Or I don't think they I don't think they hold a candle to a lot of like other strategies that play at a similar power level, right? Like, okay, I think they're good, obviously. Like, something that wins you the game, two-card combo that wins you the game, that's good. Uh-huh. But I think, like, in a lot of ways, building a deck that had just 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 like, all right, I'm gonna do some game plan, and then I'm gonna throw down Palancon and Deny Navigator and win. I think it's doing yourself a disservice in a lot of ways. It's like you're, I don't know. It's kind of hard to like. I think if that's the only kind of deck you played, Commander, I think you're not. You're maybe missing out on part of the format. On a pretty wide swath of the format. But I think I think those decks are like are fine to play. You know, like I. I don't know. Like I, I find those decks kind of fun, honestly. 
but yeah, it's, it's 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 not bad, right? To have this to like have this game plan that's focused on doing one thing to win, right? Mm-hmm. And like, I don't mind playing against Infinite Combos at all. I think I, I mean, I've definitely played against them enough at this point where it's like yeah. I'm not. I wouldn't say I'm desensitized. I just say it's like it's not a strategy that like really bothers me. It's like okay, you have your way to win. I have my way to win. Whoever's gonna get to it is gonna get to it. Let's see what happens. Yeah. Um, yeah. And obviously, think, my okay. Go ahead. Well, no, I think I I agree that they're they're overrated in one sense that people will just jam some random infinite combo in their deck, even if it doesn't have anything to do with like what they're what they're playing. You know, like someone might build like a Mizix deck, like the the guy with experience counters that discounts or instance yeah, and sorceries, yeah, yeah. and then like, oh, dude, like I'm in red and blue, I should play Pestermite Splinter Twin. <laughs> and it's like, well. Maybe like like why like why why do that like you're just putting a very fragile infinite combo in your deck, and it's not strengthening your deck in that meaningful of a way. Like I don't know, it's just like introducing another another failure point. So I think in that aspect they're overrated, but I don't know. In terms of strength, I think they're appropriate rated. I think in terms of, I definitely think in terms of fun for the person pointed off, they're overrated. Like, they're not that fun to pull off. Like, what's really fun is getting to the point where you can actually, like, controlling the game or, like, bobbing and weaving through interaction to the point where you get it. Like, actually, like, like just putting it on the table is not not that exciting to me. Yeah, I I think, I mean, personally, like, I find the amount of fun a combo entails is directly related to the number of pieces required to make it work. Ooh, okay. Right? Like, I mean, were you were you there when I was playing the, the model black deck and, like, I had, like, just, like, a dumb board state and I managed to get, like, Zillaport Cutthroat, Dark Prophecy, um, Nether Trader. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, like, when that happens, right, it's like, okay, I've put together this machine with, like, six yeah, cogs yeah. and they move in synchrony and I like that. That is really satisfying. Like, all the overlapping synergies coming together. Coming together and something. finally just, like, hitting, hitting that break point. Yeah, I think finding a deck that like pushes that breakpoint from a lot of different angles is can be really fun. But like once again, like I Palancron Deadeye. I mean, I I played Palancron Deadeye for years. <laughs> like that was like, all right, here's my mono blue win condition. I'm gonna play Palancron Deadeye. I'm gonna play Ambassador Laquatus. I'm gonna mill you out. <laughs> it's like, oh, you have an Eldrazi. I'm gonna mill you until. Until it's the deterministically one until it's the last card and then i'm gonna make you draw two cards like <laughs> it's just like it, it's 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 amusing the first couple of times and then it's like okay we've seen this story before yeah let's move on to something new i can understand that i can understand that and yeah i guess yeah they obviously are powerful and there are definitely some infinite combos not all infinite combos are created equal like mm-hmm. there are some that are just generally stronger. That's why you s- still see them. And like obviously, if they weren't as, as powerful as like other si- si- like in- high synergy instant win cons, people wouldn't play them. Yeah. But like food chain is still a thing. Allurin is still a thing. I think. There's yeah, some... I'm just I'm thinking like uh, I guess I'm thinking of uh like demon fish like demonic consultation plus uh Thassa's oracle like that is like the most efficient one in commander, but. I still don't think like I think I think the one's overrated in the sense that like if you're playing blue and black, you don't have to include it. It is not like strictly necessary you include it in like your like blue black zombies deck 
just because it is like that efficient you yeah know, i just... wouldn't i wouldn't run demon fish outside of cdh yeah i think it, i think that's like all right because that's that's a win con that unless people are packing very specific responses to it uh-huh like you're just gonna win every time you play it it's, it's just it's like <laughs> yeah. no one no one's gonna beat it it's 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 well it's like yeah you, you'll you'll win every time you draw the the two cards but then there will be some games where you only draw the oracle some games where you only draw the demonic consultation and then it's like really awkward and like i don't know like just drawing like say i'm empty-handed and i draw a random thassa's oracle that's not like that much fun to me honestly um, yeah and like as soon as you start putting tutors in right to get to it it's like okay now you've just ratcheted the power level of your deck up. <laughs> like you're just like you're you're already playing with fire at that point. And that's that's kind of what I'm thinking about, right? Like you're playing with fire design. I'm playing with. <laughs> I I I don't think that when they printed Thassa's Oracle, they were they were like, hmm, demonic consultation. This well, is this okay. I don't I don't like. I I don't think you can all. I I think you'd have to be like a very bad game designer. To like look at the the proposed card design for Thassa's Oracle, and be like, oh yeah, maybe someone will like play a deck where they try to draw their whole deck and then play it. Like I, you, those cards have to be going through your mind when you're designing it. You know, okay. like, it has to be intended on some level. Yeah, that's true. Okay, so I know you have very strong feelings about strictly better as a term, right? Sure. Yeah, I do. Is Thassa's Oracle strictly better than Laboratory Maniac? Um, uh, no. No. Because of the card Torpor Orb. Because of the card Torpor Orb. Okay. What about cards that stop you from drawing cards? Which make lab me. Yeah, okay. So it's not strict. Exactly. Yeah. Every, is... Look, I I think I've said this before on the podcast, but no no card is, is like, in the way people usually think about it, no card is strictly better than, than another card because of the cards Blood Moon, Chalice of the Void, and Torpor Orb. <laughs> That's it. True. Like you can, if a card's cheaper, it's easier to play a Chalice of the Void that counters yes, it. Exactly. <laughs> it is better. The card is better though. Like, that's the Oracle. It it is in most applications. It is better. It yeah. just outclasses Lab Man. Man. Yeah, yeah. Poor Lab Man. <laughs> yeah, I would I would not include Lab Man before I included Oracle. I'll say it that way. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Makes sense. Okay. Kind of related to infinite combos as well. Uh, we've got number eight, winning. <laughs> winning overrated, Simon? Hell yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> and here's where my my more casual side comes out. Because, like, some of the most fun games I've played, I have not won. Some of that, the most, yeah. Yeah, some of the most fun games I've played, I thought I was going to win the whole time. <laughs> and then I lost. There was that game on, on MTGO we played not too long ago, right? Where I was, like, absolutely crushing it on game. Yeah, tell me story. I, I can't even remember um, what deck I was playing. I just know that I was, like, ahead the whole game. And then someone, like, played a board wipe. And it's just, like... Or not even a board wipe. It's, just some, some, I can't, it's so weird. Like, I can remember the emotion, like, the emotional state I went through. But okay, not yeah. the game itself. And that's, like, to me, on a lot of cases with, like, random EDH games and stuff like that. It's, like, that's... How I know a game was good, right? It's like uh-huh. okay, I remember like enjoying something. I don't necessarily remember the exact cards that were played and stuff like that, but like I remember having a good time, and that's what that's what that's what we're playing age for, you know? It's like trying to trying to have a good time. Yeah, I think people people often think of like if I if I won the game, then that means I had fun, and that's not really true. Oh, it's so you know? it's so 
Um, yeah, I, I think just like the uh, like winning and having fun are just kind of separate, you know, especially in EDH. You know, there's just different things that you can either have or not have. <laughs> yeah, and I think that the goal, right, should be to to have fun, and then if you win, you win. You know, it's like. Yeah. Ever, and that's like the, the the dream where everyone is playing on a kind of similar like your decks have been kind of tuned to the point where you're all playing a very similar game right because magic is a, is a single game but in reality it's a near infinite amount of games that all could go a different way sure sure and so like hitting that sweet spot where you're all playing the same game and that is like the biggest problem with EDH, right is you have four players who aren't necessarily playing the same game especially if they don't know each other Mm-hmm. so it's like having that game where you're all playing the same game and like it almost makes it like who who cares who wins because you're, you're playing a game you're playing the game yeah i also think something that people don't talk about a lot is winning can in some situations feel kind of bad if you're in that situation where you're like it's like say say you just log into a random mpgo like uh, a random room in the edh section and like it's clear from the first couple of turns that your deck is maybe like a little bit more powerful than everyone else's. And you just like crush that whole game. Then it's like winning, winning doesn't really feel that great. It kind of just feels like, okay, well, I mean that happened. Like I'd rather play a game that's more back and forth. Yeah. I mean, okay, here's, here's story time. <laughs> I okay, was yeah. playing, I uh, logged into you. I was like, you know, I'll play a game, play a game of EDH yesterday. And I was like, all right, here you go. I'm going to, uh, you know, kind of feeling Sorkara again. Really, really enjoying. So I, I make a room, right? Just sure, some sure. innocuous, innocuous room name. Like let's have a war or something like that. You know, it's kind of a, <laughs> yeah, you know, innocuous. Bunch of people. Okay, I guess I guess there are people. I get three Mardu players. Oh boy, <laughs> playing against three Mardu players, and I'm just over here playing like mana rocks and lands, hitting my drawing lands, hitting my land drops. That's right, twenty nine lands, still top deck and lands, and getting exactly what I need. Um. Stay, oh. stay mad. Stay no mad. No justice in the um, world. <laughs> and, you know, the stars align. And it's like turn five or six and I win. It's like, all right, whatever. But, like, I didn't feel very good. It was like, okay, they're trying to play this game. And, like, obviously with M2GO it's impossible to, like, really, without putting a paragraph in your room description. Yeah. To cultivate what your game's going to be like. But, like, and to some degree it's like, okay, I enjoy the act of storming off. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a cathartic feeling, but like, I just left the game immediately afterwards. I was like, all right, I'm, I'm not even going to stay to, to, I'm not even going to look at what they typed. I'm just going to, I'm just going to leave. I'm going to close MTGO. I'm not even going to look at the icon. Just going <laughs> to pretend this never happened. What, what were the, uh, what were the commanders there playing? Oh my God. Uh, the new Kalia of the Vast. Oh Queen wow. Queen Marchesa. Okay. Okay the last one i think the last one was a partners i think it was like tim, okay tim like Nunn, Kiri or tim, something yeah like i i, I think no i don't think it was a kid i think it was like tim Nunn and violet thrasher smasher oh that's cool that's cool yeah it was like you know yeah. kind of like things that but can... they were they were probably playing a much different game plan than uh mono red storm yeah i mean yeah the the turn to play of one of my opponents was this card that read each, I can't remember the name of the card. It reads each opponent sacrifices a creature or enchantment. Uh, I don't know that card. Yeah, like I'd never seen it before, and it killed my steam can. And that was like it. <laughs> and I was like, 
are we like this is okay <laughs> i'm okay with this yeah <laughs> you then just play burgie next turn and make more red mana or whatever yeah exactly you know you're like you're like whatever okay i'll just keep playing my mana box like sure mm-hmm. whatever yeah i mean i i feel like that that's the thing i, I never hear any other or i guess maybe one guy i've heard talk about this before just that that feeling of like winning but felt like you felt feeling like you lost like winning but feeling like you didn't really get the game you signed up for you know but feeling like you just kind of wasted the time yeah and i think that's very i think that is it's a it's a feeling that if you're getting that when you're playing with people that you know that you know well that you're friends with you should re-examine how your or how the group you're playing with is playing the game right true true and this is this is i mean we talked about this like in one of our earlier episodes one of our first episodes like this experience of like looking at each other basically after the game and being like this what did you have fun (laughs) no not really it's like when you get to that point you have to do some serious soul searching and be like all right what's the problem here can i or how can i fix it and it's worth fixing one one cautionary note though um the game is less fun when no one's trying to win oh or when, oh my god no yes one, no one cares at all about winning you know i mean yeah like when you're four four hours into a seven person edh game and, <laughs> and no one wants to swing at each other because that was interesting feeling you've reached yeah. this this still like people are starting to like talk about other things or it's like the the guy across the table is just going insane, like he's literally going out of his mind because he has he just can't he just can't deal with the sheer number of triggers every upkeep, and like he's just sacrificed his last permanent to smoke stay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> don't do yeah. that. Don't play. Don't play with more than four people. Yeah. Oh yeah. Actually, that's a great thing to talk about. Playing with exactly four people, underrated or overrated. It. That I think everybody knows that is the goat way to play magic or the goat way to play EDH. You cannot miss me with this like five player, seven player, two headed giant emperors. No, I just want four players. Just keep it simple, you know? Yeah, we were we were playing an EDH game the other day, right? And we were looking at the room names and this guy was like three player EDH. And, and we were like, well, yeah, what, what kind of deck do you build? We were like, oh, this deck really good against two people. Boros like, aggro. <laughs> I guess, but then like, why? I don't know. Play, play French Highlander or Canadian Highlander. <laughs> like, yeah, that's kind of underrated, honestly. Canadian but Highlander. No, no way to play it right now. <laughs> Did we listen? We we listened to that an episode of the Canadian Highlander podcast and the way like since yeah, that, to that SCG thing, right? I, I still yeah North One Hundred. I still <laughs> listen to that. They actually, they like a lot of weird cards get played in uh, Canadian Highlander that. Like I didn't like I just didn't know about you know or like they they think about things in a different way it's kind of interesting to hear but I just remember listening to their segment on like point point changes yeah yeah and just being like what the <laughs> this is too many rules for deck building like, <laughs> like, I cannot deal with this like a band a band list is enough for me once you get into like I'm okay I'm gonna use three of my point buys on a black lotus like nah I'm good <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm good yeah, yeah. I wonder how many points is jeweled lotus. It, none. There's none? no commanders. Oh, there's no commanders, right? Fucking <laughs> Canadian Highlander. Oh, 
Dang. Speaking of cards that will never be pointed, uh, number nine on our little outline, Pass in Flames. Simon. Pass in Flames. You're, you're the mono-red uh, expert. I'm going to throw this one to you, okay? It's like the worst version of Underworld Breach at this point. That's not saying a lot because Underworld Breach is like one of the most broken magic cards ever printed. But like, I don't know. It's like, it's got this, it's got the stigma, right? It's got the stigma to it where like someone sees it in your graveyard. They're like, oh, oh, you're going to play it and win the game. It's like, it costs five mana. I have four lands out right now. Like, come on. Yeah. <laughs> what well, I- maybe, maybe the fact that you're, you're underrating or saying that Pass and Flames is overrated is related to the fact that you're only playing 29 lands. Maybe, <laughs> I don't know. You think there might be a correlation there? I don't know. I'll, I'll have to... I'll have to keep track of my next 50 games of Monoroid Storm and, and forgive this. Yeah, I'll have to crunch the numbers. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I mean, the card is good. The card's very good. I just, like, sometimes I don't feel good drawing it. Quite often, Yeah. actually. It's like, I see a card, and I'm like, man, I wish this was any other card. Yeah, it's, it's one of those cards you include for, like, inevitability, but it doesn't really, like, progress your game plan when you're trying to set it up. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, I, maybe it's perfectly rated. Maybe it is. Maybe it is like recognized for the things it does. I, I don't. I don't see people play it a lot, though. Is the thing. Like, I can't remember the last time I saw someone besides me play a passing flames. I mean, I I've seen it. Um, I've I've played. Yeah, I put a few games online where it's like it's done some work, but it's really just been like a value thing. Like someone put together like a spell slinger deck, and then like the game stalled out, and they used passive flames to like flashback some cantrips or like a ramp spell or whatever. And in that situation, I was like, this card does not look great at all. But I don't know. Huh. It's actually I'd never really thought about that before. Like, what? How? little i've seen passing flames played outside of like every deck with red i've ever i think i think every deck with red i've ever played has had an iteration where it's run past in flames except for maybe xenagos maybe this is you giving yourself an intervention to stop playing past like, it's time you're just, the only guy that's still playing stop. it's just like ah oh. god he's good i mean underworld breach is kind of crazy it does. It does really blow it out of the water. I mean, it really is. It is unfair, right? And like, even Mizzix's yeah. mastery. Mizzix's mastery also out. I would argue outclasses it pretty, pretty yeah, handily. For sure. For sure. Um, though I guess they kind of. To some degree, I like passing flames because like it, it works really well with like bonus round and stuff like that, right? Like that all is- the spells you're casting, you're getting copies of them and stuff like that. Like there's synergy there. But like Mizzix's mastery, that card is also insane. Graveyards not overrated at all. Yeah. Doing stuff with graveyard. Okay, I want to I want to point something out. Notably, Deathrite Shaman is embarrassing against both Pass and Flames and Mizzix's mastery. This one say. This one say. It's but, true. It's true. It does absolutely nothing. Anyway, anyway. Um, okay, this is the I put this next one on here. Yeah, talk to me about I this think, one. I want I want to hear exactly what you mean by this. I think the concept of virtual card advantage is kind of overrated in Commander. Um, do you, do you like, or do you know what like I mean when I say virtual card advantage? Yeah, I'll be more clarified for it. Okay. Um, 
Well, okay. When a lot of people talk about, uh, I'll say like VCA or whatever, when, um, when they're talking about like white, they're like, okay, so like Blade Splicer, that's like, it's technically like you didn't draw a card, but you played a creature that had a body and it produced another body. It's like, okay, there, there you go. You're plus one on permanence on the battlefield. That's card advantage, right? Um, a lot of times like people think of like token producing stuff is like virtual card advantage. Basically anything that produces material on the board. Um, yeah, usually exclusively on the board, but doesn't actually like put a card into your hand. That's what I mean by virtual card advantage. And I think it's a little bit overrated in commander because in order to like actually leverage like a card's worth of value out of the, like the, the little permanent you put out there, like in order to make like the golem that blade spicer makes, like make it actually worth a card, you have to be in a pretty specific board state, you know? And a lot of the times those board, like those board states don't really come up as often as they do in two player magic. That's why I think it's a little bit overrated. Well, yeah, it's like the old saying, right? A card in the hand is worth two on the board. <laughs> is that actually saying? That's like, that is actually kind of clever. No. I'm going to steal that. Uh, yeah, you can you can credit whoever said the bird in the hand thing. But, um, uh, yeah, I know, I know, I know. Yeah, yeah. That um, makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah? It also makes a lot of sense to me that it sounds like bullshit. It's like what? okay, your five your five soldier tokens. Yeah. I say if your five soldier tokens or whatever are worth some amount of cards in your deck, mm-hmm. the cards in your deck fucking suck. In Commander. <laughs> well, like, come on, come okay. on. Okay, so if, like the, the, <laughs> those five soldiers, they're always worth something, right? If all of your opponents are one life, those soldier tokens are incredible. Yeah, but, but they're not. A lot of the time, cards. your opponents are in like thirty-five life, and then it's kind of like they're worthless. Yeah, and I think in that way, it's like you kind of do have to separate actual card advantage from everything else. Exactly. Like if also, you have a great board state, an awesome developed board state, and no cards in hand, you are yeah. literally one card away from any of your three opponents from just being absolutely dead on the water, dead in the water. Exactly. Exactly. Like. Um, I think the one of the main differences between Commander and other formats is that like the board state is not like as sure of a store of value as it is your hand. You know, like I yeah. would, like yeah, if you if you play just like a white weenie deck, you're like, all right, here's my one drop, two drop, three three one drops in turn three, like play Glorious Anthem, and then they play like Toxic Deluge for like three, and you're just out of the game entirely, like. You're gonna have to do some a lot of work to convince me that the the soldier tokens you made are actually worth anything, you know? <laughs> well, yeah, it's like the same way that counter spells, right, go from card neutral to card uh-huh. disadvantage in EDH. It's the same way with creatures. The average power of a creature in EDH is a lot lower than in one v one magic. It's the, it's the reason that enter the battlefield effect creatures with strong enter the battlefield effects are so favored in the format. Yeah. Because once you've played a card from your hand, right? I mean, that's another reason the graveyard is so strong. Because it turns your graveyard into a, not a hand, but a place yeah, yeah. you can actually get consistent card advantage out of. That's true. I, I want to be clear. I'm not, like, telling people to completely abandon the, like, the idea of virtual card advantage. I just think when you're thinking of including a card because of, like, 
the virtual card advantage it might accrue, you need to think about, is the situation where I'm going to be able to use it going to come up that often? And if it's not, hey, maybe this card is kind of worthless. I mean, yeah, that's been a big shift in the way, like, I not even knowing about virtual card advantage, right, or not really thinking about it at all, the way that I build decks recently, it's like, okay, here's this cool two-card synergy. How often am I going to see it? Yeah. And which one of these cards is less relevant to the rest of the deck? Cut the chaff. It's like, yeah. you have to, you can put a bunch of, like, two, I, I kind of think of them as, like, strings, right? Like, I got my sure. I got my big conspiracy board, and I've connected all a bunch of cards with <laughs> strings, right? Yeah, yeah. And it's like, okay, here are two isolated cards with only a string between them and nothing else. Get rid of them. Yeah. It's that sort of, like, forming the web and making sure it's actually interconnected. Yeah, one of... Okay, one of one of the big, the big culprits I, I'm thinking of when I wrote ten, was uh, trading post. <laughs> Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah. Because that card sucks. Need, <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah. But people people still include it in the artifact deck. So like, man, I'm gonna want to sack this artifact token to draw a card. But you, in order for that trading post to get value, you need to be in a situation where you're like dragging out the game and you're being able to leverage it every single turn and. It's just, I don't know. There are cards that will draw you more cards than Trading Post for less yeah. mana. Yeah. They exist now. And, like, I mean, Trading Post is cute if you're kind of doing that thing. You're doing this, like, act, artifact activated abilities thing, right? Okay. I'd, I'd, I'd say play it, right? It's like, but when you actually just think about what the card itself does, it's like you pay four mana and then you, like, walk through this weird cycle of activated abilities. <laughs> it's like, yeah, yeah. In my mind, Palace, it, it, it's not on the board. No, 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 no tax in that. Okay, that's my rant about virtual card advantage. Very nice. Be more conscientious in your Very deck building. Very concise. I like it. Okay. Okay. Cards. Yeah, these these last two you put on here they're, are uh, they're a doozy. They're a doozy. So um, this kind of ties back into um, we were talking earlier about you know eight mana spells being awful and stuff like that. I think yeah. cards that in general cost more than five mana. I've I I won outside of green decks, which are obviously an exception in the fact that mana costs on your cards don't really matter as long as you have a bunch of ramp spells. Yeah. <laughs> I won very, very few cards that cost more than five mana. And even five mana, I try and like limit it to like six at the most. Yeah. Like, regardless of, like, the curve in my deck, I think, in general, I just try and... I'm actually looking looking at, like, all my decks. Almost all of my decks have six five-mana cards and then <laughs> a couple cards that, that are more expensive. Yeah. I think this, this is just a consequence of, of just how much five-mana can get you nowadays. Like, five-mana nowadays gets you, like, Nissa who shakes the world, you know? Like... Five mana gets you. I don't know, like, what's a, what's a busted red like bird the the horn side of Burgie, you know, like yeah, you know, or like mana guys. Five mana gets you mana guys here. Yeah, it gets you mana guys exactly. Like you don't need to spend more than five mana on something to win win you the game. Like I'd rather spend like three mana on one thing and three mana on another thing, and then they harmonize to make a bunch of explosive stuff happen than just like all right. Here's my Consecrated Sphinx. Uh, here's my uh, Grave Titan. Uh, as, that's just like, no, no, no. Yeah, and I think, once again, I mean, this goes back also to like when you're constructing a deck, playing 
to to synergy rather than just like I'm gonna play a bunch of big beefy cards that do things when you play them. Yeah, yeah. I just try and leverage that into a victory. Uh huh. Because like if someone is playing a bunch of cards that work together well and you're just playing like every eight mana titan cycles with just like all the bringers of the dawns and all the like <laughs> magmatic force cycle and yeah. the titan cycle it's legal and the I mean, primordial I'm, cycle i i did try and <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking of a i'm thinking of like joda decks you know or golos decks yeah 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 yeah, yeah. i think i mean that ties really actually we could just tie it into the next next thing oh, i was yeah, gonna exactly. talk about right like five color decks in general <laughs> i think Five color decks outside of like you're building on a very specific theme, right? And that's why you need five colors so you can just fit it all in because it's like a niche thing. Yeah. Outside of that sort of creative deck building type thing, I mean, like you're building a deck to to like play the game semi optimally in any way. I think five color decks almost always end up being really generic. I think, yeah, I think yeah, like Golos and Joda are yeah, it's kind of the main culprits of this. Just just a giant pile of big color intensive spells that i don't know that just like have this giant effect are kind of they, they just end up being the, the same stuff all the time like it really is that old adage of restrictions breeding creativity like when you don't have any color restrictions it's it's kind of hard to actually narrow in on the theme and uh and build it up yeah and it's it's like p- part of the reason i've never built five color deck it's like i've tried i've actually like sat down started putting lists together for five color yeah. decks like at least five times, right? Like, just like I did, I tried doing it for like, um, gauge with like the world, the, the, what's the gauge with the tree? Like, you know, the five color le- yeah, legendary land thing from Kamigara. I think that was like yeah, the yeah. first one I tried. It was like, wow, this is so cool. You have like Ramos Dragon Engine. Um, uh-huh. kind of tried it out with Golos. I was like, wow, this is not for me. But like, what I found is like, every time I do it, I A, get a little overwhelmed by all the choices. And I end mm-hmm. up just putting the same cards in. And it's just like, wait, I just built this deck. The last time I tried to do this, <laughs> yeah. why, why am I doing this again? And it, yeah. it just completely, it just, just burns me out of the whole the whole process. Yeah, I've, I've never built one either. Kind of that same thing. It's like, how do you... Actually, you know what? I think, I think what would be fun is to build like a two-color deck that's like splashing the the third, fourth, and fifth color for like one or like two or three cards. You know, I think that might actually be fun. Like a black green Golos deck that's like using Golos to tutor out this specific land that like combos with your game plan or something. Like that might actually be interesting. But so know. like act I mean yeah that's the thing, right? But when I'm pl- trying to and I've tried, right? Like like I tried building like Ramos charms and stuff like that. Like mm-hmm. actually doing like the kind of like restrictive deck building. It's just so hard with five color yeah just because it's overwhelming yeah Yeah, it it is very overwhelming for me and i already get bad (laughs) decision paralysis whenever i do anything so it's like yeah it's just it's too much it's too much for me yeah yeah okay so now we have a list of things that we maybe think are underrated though i think we might still have some disagreements here so yeah let's start let's start with the food one again okay? okay okay going out for breakfast i think it's I think it's overrated. You think it's underrated, though. Explain. Okay. <laughs> so, breakfast is a meal, I think, that Americans, since the General Mills campaign of 19-whenever, 
when they yeah, were sure. like, all right, we got to sell our cereals. Let's convince everyone that breakfast is a meal that actually matters. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's really fallen off the bandwagon. It's a popular thing. You know, as a lot of people are overworked, got extra jobs. I know most of my coworkers don't eat breakfast. Yeah, I don't not, either. Not me. Every morning, breakfast. Wow. I never, never skip breakfast. I don't function if I don't eat. I'm also weird because I don't drink coffee. So, you know, take sure. it as you will. Sure. Take it as you will. But here's the thing about breakfast, right? Normally, just a little energy boost gets you through your day. But, like, you know, it's a weekend. Let's, let's say it's a weekend. You got some time. Maybe you wake up a little late. Just some time okay. for, like, kind of a breakfast brunch type thing. Sure, sure. You go somewhere. And, like, when I go out to breakfast, I eat an insane amount of food. And, like, I don't eat for the rest of the day. It's like... I'm like getting eggs, I'm getting French toast, I'm getting home fries. I'm just like, I'm going absolutely overboard. And it's like, it's nice to have this kind of like professionally prepared food that's like the normal food I make, but like better. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I, okay. I'm just a fan. I think, okay. Um, like going out and getting food, like you couldn't like prepare yourself. You just like don't have the tools or like don't, like it, it requires some like really specific ingredient or whatever that you don't know. I think that's like, okay. I think, like, but going out for, like, all right, I'm going to get waffles and bacon as my breakfast thing. Like, just, like, just that. Like, you just, like, go to IHOP and get that. I think that is just, like, you're, like, spewing so much value. You could just make waffles and bacon at home, dude. And then you don't have to put on pants, you know? (laughs) Um, Okay, that's, you make a decent point there. I mean, I should point out that my, uh, my small me massachusetts liberal side is coming out here just because okay, we, sure. we have some pretty like i wouldn't say upscale like, but yeah, like, definitely yeah. like not like a couple tiers above ihop breakfast places in my hometown um yeah what, what i'm getting at is you can't you can't half-ass it you know you gotta go all in oh yeah i would i would never i would i, I don't even necessarily like going to a lot of like diners for breakfast yeah like even even like stuff that's like a tier above like your ihop and you know people who like ihop don't at me I, i've never eaten there i'm sure it's wonderful wait is it still ihop you remember that you know oh, yeah, international like, house of burgers i don't care <laughs> <laughs> i try and not think about viral marketing campaigns after they've ended <laughs> just as a, that makes sense. a, a general rule for living um yeah but like when I, I when I'm getting if I'm going out to breakfast I'm I'm gonna not go to a place that doesn't make good breakfast like excellent breakfast food. What's your what's your like go to place? Okay. In, uh, so there's a couple places. There's this place called um, the Lone Wolf. I'm giving away my hometown okay. here, but like who, who cares? Whatever. And there's this new kind of new place called Jake's. I also actually had my first Cubano ever there. Um, what, what's a Cubano? It's like this sandwich. It's got like pulled pork and bacon and like pickles. Oh. And I never. I thought even... that was just like a regular like you get that for lunch or whatever. I didn't know that was like a breakfast thing. No, it's not. But this is a separate thing. They 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 make breakfast, but they also do lunch. And I'm oh, getting okay. on a little tangent here. Um, oh gosh! Turns out I really like pulled pork. Who would have guessed? Um, <laughs> <laughs> what have I been doing for the rest of my life? I I have no idea. Um, <laughs> okay. Anyways, but, like, the food there, it's great. It's really good. It's really good. I mean, you know, we're living in maple syrup zone. I don't know how much maple syrup you've eaten in your life, being a Texan and all that, but, like... Probably not as good maple syrup as you've had. I yeah, bet. when this is over, you got to come down to Massachusetts. We'll go to, like, a sugar shack. That would be gas, And yeah, I will change your opinion. 
on, <laughs> on <laughs> breakfast as as a as a eating out meal. Cause like, yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, now I'm hungry. And I just okay. ate like an hour ago. I'm like, come on, two hours. I ago. will take you up on an offer once uh once the world oh, yeah. is normal again. You know, whatever. you know, we're gonna see the sights. We're gonna see the world. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> our little food, our little food interlude aside. I see back here to the, back to the nitty gritty, back to magic. <laughs> I see here that you've written that the combat step is underrated. Yeah, people, people are so afraid to use the combat step in EDH. So I mean, are people they? fear that. Look, dude. Okay, you play your elves of deep shadow on one, but you have a three drop. And what do you do? Turn two? Do you just pass? Do you swing for one and anger the the player next to you? Me, I am always swinging for one. I'm I'm not leaving any damage on the table. I'm trying to get this game going. You know, I don't care if I make an enemy, but like, I just I from playing online, I've seen a lot because there's not like that political. Uh, you can't like engage in that politics as much. Like, would you be mad if I swing you for one or like all that stuff? Um, and like not knowing the person, people are maybe just like less scared to just like swing for damage when the person is open to swing for damage. But I don't know, like just getting in there, just jamming, underrated, underrated. Yeah. So maybe it's <laughs> almost that like it's an overreacted, like being swung yeah, at exactly. for damage is overreacted exactly. to too much. Yeah. Like it makes it much harder besides the already difficult job of being an aggro player in the yeah. ADH game. It's much harder when the second you swing at someone with your 2-2 with lifelink they yeah. declare a blood feud upon you and your bloodline and they're like all oh, right i'm i will i will destroy your entire family for for, yeah, yeah. for hitting me with your with your pole with your bear it's like yeah yeah combat step the, is great the other, the other frustrating thing i think like the combat step is like the most interesting part of magic it's really when you get to see exactly how much your opponent values like their blockers like okay my example is like uh like I have an uh let's see, I'm trying to think of something. It's What's very like, uh, it's very public decision making, right? Wait, wait, I'm trying to think of an example. Okay. Yeah, okay. So let's say your artifact opponent has played a riddle smith, which is a one in a blue two one. Okay. It's like when you cast an artifact spell, you you loot basically. Yeah. And on the previous turn, you cast an elves of deep shadow. Okay. Um me like if i don't have a three drop i even if even be even if like there's that risk that my opponent blocks with the riddle smith and my elves of deep shadow dies i'm always going to swing at the riddle smith player because yeah. i think like learning learning what how valuable that is to them like if they block like maybe they might have a board wipe next turn or something like that like you kind of get you get to figure out all this information just by taking this like run-of-the-mill game action i think it's very interesting i mean i don't agree with you if i swing at someone with a, like an artifact commander that played a riddle smith turn two yeah and they don't block i mean they do block my elsa deep shadow i'm gonna assume yeah. their deck is basically non-functioning because yeah <laughs> what do you have in your hand that you turn down all that free card draw like, exactly. I, I have no idea it's the wheels moving no it's it totally no it is it's the most public it's the only public decision making outside of like playing the politics game that yeah. you get in a game of magic because you see what they're oftentimes like people will, will like move cards to just kind of show what they're thinking i mean it, it's, oh yeah you mean in paper yeah in paper and just in, like in general you will see online too as people declare blocks 
undeclared blocks. Like they're, they're, <laughs> there's this like they're doing the math in their head and you're seeing it happen. And yeah. when it starts going your way, when you can see that they're like blocking the way you really want them to, it's like yes, yes, <laughs> <laughs> you block and, like that. And like you, you, you know this feeling like when when they actually do block with a real smith. Like that feeling of like what what on earth are they doing? Like what what is possibly going on? Like that I think is very fun. Yeah, and also like the feeling when like someone attacks makes like an attack that you think is just horrendously wrong. Yeah, it's like it's like yeah yeah. yeah. What is going on in that hand of yours? I have it's like do they idea pop spell? Do they have like like maybe they swung their like uh their three three and your six six and they're like holding anger the gods but they don't want you to know about it. It's like. All these different mind games you can have going. Yeah. And it, it's so funny how, like, when people do that, you can also just not block. <laughs> it's like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, oh, you're three, people... they're coming at me? Sure, whatever, I'll take it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, there's just... I think people in general are also kind of reluctant to, like, not have their card do something, quote-unquote. You know, like, you, you swing with their... your 1-1 one, one Elves of Deep Shadow and they block it with their Riddlesmith. It's like, oh man, like I missed a point of damage because I didn't swing at the person that was actually like had no had no blockers. So then, like, I think people also maybe overvalue that. Do people which think is why... that way? I think I, people I would be so happy trading a uh, one one for a well, you, smith, right? Like, you know what I mean? Like, well, people like say there's like the guy with the real smith, and then there's like a player that just doesn't have a blocker. I think like a lot a lot of EDH players will swing at the guy that doesn't have a blocker. Yeah, just to get the free damage, keep the creature, keep their exactly keep the, the, the free state. damage. But really, like there's free damage on the Riddlesmith player too. You're just like not recognizing it. It's free Riddlesmith. Yeah, free Riddlesmith too. It's like then your Elven Deep Shadow trade up for Riddlesmith. I'd say losing a, a Riddlesmith is a lot more hurtful than one life point of damage. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So I don't know. I just think we need we need to give the combat stat more love in, in Commander. You know. I would, main phases are main phases are cool, but I want to see see creatures hitting each other. You know? I would like to see more like that's something that's some design space I'd like to see them develop more in red yeah. and white is like combat step interaction and stuff like that. Yeah, like the Master of Warcraft type spells. Yeah, I mean, I think I think white could easily you get like a counter spell, an unconditional counter spell that only happens during combat and stuff like that. That would be very cool. Something like that, right? Where it's like. This is this is the time during the turn when this color has control. You know, it's like yeah, because that's already what Boros gets, like Master Warcraft, like you like you said. Yeah, white like white gets a lot of those like deals three damage to an attacking or blocking creature, like those kinds of cards. But there's there's definitely more stuff you can do there. What if it was like draw two cards? But I don't. I guess it would just be raid, like draw two cards if you attacked. As an additional. It would be cool ninjutsu on incense and sorceries. Some way to make that, that mechanic work. As an additional cost to casting this spell, choose a creature you control. Yeah. It deals no combat damage this turn. Something like that. that. Okay. That's actually cool. Yeah. And it's like a it could be a divination for Christ's sake. It's like a divination. Or, I, I would want it to be like it has to be like blocked or unblocked. You know, like, yeah, it probably there's, there's, has there's to be blocked. Problems. It has to be blocked, right? Yeah, yeah. Choose a blocked creature you control. It deals no combat this turn. Draw two, three cards. I don't know. That, I think, I don't know. If you want to get crazy, draw cards equal to its power. <laughs> oh my gosh. But then you're playing white, all your creatures have like three power max. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it's it's already controlled by the color. I mean, of course, then you start playing Selesnia, right? And it's just like, yeah, whatever, whatever. Slaps forehead.
Anyway. Um, prevent some point. Prevent just... all damage that creature control. Play questing beast. Boom. Synergy. Oh, wow. There you go. That is it. <laughs> okay, so there definitely have to be some different wordings for that. Um, okay. Ooh. <laughs> what, number four? Yeah, I'm looking at... Yeah, banning? so... Banning things? I, I wrote this one on Monday because we... Okay, so the, the thing that I'm thinking is underrated is banning things. Because we had in all the non-EDH formats, like, huge changes on Monday with, like, multiple cards banned. I think the total is 15 cards banned across all these formats. And one card unbanned. One card unbanned? Oh, yeah, Luris. Luris and Vintage is unbanned, yeah. Was that the only card banned in Vintage besides the anti-cards? I know we talked about this at one point. Yeah, just just like the Dexterity and uh Yeah, and the anti-cards, yeah. yeah. Well, th- I don't count those as cards. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah, I think... Um, I guess I, I put this on here because I, I hate the way of thinking about bands where like, it's like, I don't know, like people always focus on the feel bads of bands. They're like, okay, it would feel really bad if you like, if you like played or if you invested all this time and money into like your ad nauseum deck and then your Simeon spirit, spirit guides get banned. Um, and I'm like, okay, yeah, that does suck. But like really when people are bringing that up, they're pointing to a problem that is like card availability and card prices, you know, like how crazy those have gotten in the last couple of years. And like, if, if those weren't as much of an issue, I think banning things would be like a much more common thing and a much, a thing with a lot less downside. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Uh, I think it's, I mean, it's, I, it's a known reason why wizards doesn't do a lot of bannings as, yeah. as, soon, as soon as they probably should. Right. Because they want to sell packs, which is, you know, Blahdy blahdy blah, corporation make money needs to yeah. sell cards. That's cool. I get it. I understand the reasoning behind it, right? But like definitely like especially in eternal formats. Uh-huh. I mean, I think it was kind of it seems supremely obvious to me for a while now that Uro was not a healthy card in any sense of the word for basically I, any of the eternal formats it was in. I think I I got too used to it where I didn't realize how unhealthy it was. You totally had Stockholm syndrome. You were like you were like I, Playing every well, I variation love of Uro, Uro, man. Uro, playing with Uro is like so much fun. Yeah, the you card like is insane. King. The card you do, you feel like a god. You're you're you're, you're just playing a three mana, three mana yeah. explore, cultivate, life gain <laughs> six six. You can keep on playing it. I mean, the card is ridiculous. But like yeah. to me, having like not really played with it at all, like I could see where the fun is from, but I could also tell like the card was completely dominant for so no, yeah. Playing, playing against it was awful. Like, it was the worst feeling to play against it. I honestly think Wizards should just never print a three-mana, one-green, one-blue card again. <laughs> they obviously cannot be trusted to do it. I mean, I know I know one of the cards in the new um, Strixhaven cycle is is that. I don't think yeah. it's going to be nearly as problematic because it's not a permanent. No more yeah. three-mana, one-colorless, one-green, one-blue permanence, okay? Yeah. That's, the, that's what... It, Wizards... You can hire me anytime you want. <laughs> That's we've my got this great. We've got this great idea for instance and sorcery of the combat step. Like it's gonna be great. I think that's what's best for fire design. If they wanna if they <laughs> wanna keep the game fun and replayable, no more three mana civic permanence. <laughs> yeah. Do not do it. Yeah, I just yeah. I think if if cards were like if you didn't have to spend two hundred dollars on your Euros. Like, Banning Uro would be, like, a slam dunk. 
you know, it's just the fact that these cards are so expensive and so sought after. And I get this one's maybe not as relevant to Commander because they don't really ban that stuff that often, just because like social contract or whatever. But I wanted to say my piece about banning things. Hey, I mean, we talked about this with my with my ban every game idea, but that aside, oh, yeah. I know it would be interesting, right, to think of Commander to have Commander an experiment where it's a more living format, where like the rules committee is actively sort of like in a penny dreadful style thing, looking oh, at yeah, play cool. data, looking at cards. I mean, if they had access to play data, right? Yeah, I mean that'd be kind of fun, like a crowdsourced, um, crowdsourced st- uh, game statistics, where like people like say, okay, here's a you you record when someone plays a soul ring turn one, you record who wins the game, you record the cards that are associated with winning the game. Yeah, and it's like compiling that over like a million games or something like that. I mean, I think you could get some really interesting results from that. And then taking you the could. most egregious That'd be very cards, hard to put together, but yeah, it would be incredibly very difficult. Someone smarter than yeah. me could do it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay, leave it, leave it to leave it to the to the smart people. Actually, yeah. it's funny, right? Because what we were just talking about the whole like Euro costing a bunch. I mean, I put this down in a moment of you know my usual economic rage, um, the kind of like money power level gradient in EDH, and I think people recognize. A large part. Yeah, what do you What do you mean by this? But like, I mean, just the expense. advantage that that's that's afforded to you, even outside of like mana bases and stuff like that, which is the typical thing. I mean, especially as cards get a lot more expensive for the format. Um, I think we're gonna see a more common um, or a, a, a widening divide between the EDH classes, so to speak, just like real life, you know. Oh, you, wait, so you mean like, you mean just like how much of an advantage you get by being able to spend like 50 bucks more or something? Yeah, I mean like like when we were talking about, I mean in every one of our model, uh, of our color series episodes, right, we ended up talking about like, oh yeah, here's this card that is actually really central to the strategy of this color. And it's also oh, like, yeah. it's like $70 now. Or in the case, I mean like when you sent me that, that message about like Wheel of Fortune getting bought out, yeah, it's like what, like $400 now? Yeah, it's, it's crazy. Insane. That card is literally required to play red. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we we said it in the cover, so we'll say it again. Yeah, it is required. It is. It is. It is. I think easily the best red card like ever printed for EDH. <laughs> it's kind of it's insane. No argument here. Yeah, no and it's here. just like the fact that it's it's not even something people necessarily think about, right? Like it's just like even outside, it's like playing OG duels. There are a lot of cards that are really good in EDH that are not accessible. To the large majority yeah. of player base, which also means proxies are underrated. That is something I will get on board with 100%. Proxies are severely underrated, still, even even now. And I, so I, I'm wondering, and this is this is something I wonder about because, like, I mean, having spent so much time on like the EDH subreddit and stuff like that, I mean, a, a common thing that I see is like people being like, "Oh, my playgroup doesn't like proxies." Like, no one at my shop likes proxies and stuff like that. I'm wondering if we'll see a shift away from that. To like people like actually finding it, I'd like to see that happen. I mean, this is obviously not a Wizards of the Coast approved message, but like yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, I think for I mean, for cards that aren't disrupting Wizards of the Coast income flow, so to speak, it's like I see no reason why it shouldn't be socially acceptable to instead of spending four hundred dollars on a card that draws you seven cards (laughs) for the for three mana (laughs) and everyone else too. It's like. Yeah, I think I think there is still that. I think people do kind of like when 
you can kind of gauge a deck's power level by how expensive it is, though. I think people people like having that as shorthand. Like, oh, this is like a hundred R deck, or like even like you know like Commander's Quarters, he does what, like yeah. twenty five dollars. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Having those benchmarks, I think people it, it's like it's kind of a crutch because you are supposed to just have that conversation about power level before. But I don't know. I, I would like to see that that kind of uh, that that shift in the EDH mindset from uh, like being more accepted accepting of proxies. I think be, there's yeah. a lot of obstacles in the way. Well, it's funny, and this is this is another way of saying like like when we talk about power level, it's like it's something people recognize instinctually, like you said, right? like people like talk about like how how much you do your deck stuff like that. I don't think people really say, oh yeah, my deck's a thousand dollars, you know, like oh my deck's five hundred dollars. That's true. It's like, this yeah. power, like everyone at my table is playing fifty dollar decks, and I'm running four hundred dollars. Like you hear that, you know instinctively that the deck is going to be better. Yeah. Like it's gonna it's gonna be more consistent. It's gonna play better. It's gonna be it's gonna be quote unquote stronger. But yeah. like. That's not what people talk about when they talk about power level. They talk about one through ten, or I'm, yeah, exactly. I'm playing a six point two Eastern Meridian on the tablet scale. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's also um, it's used as a way to complain a lot of the time. Like people will be like, "Oh, he went he went like turn one Scalding Tarn into Badlands, and then turn turn two he played Chains of Mephistopheles. That's a that's a three thousand dollar card." Um, it's kind of like, you know, it, I, th- those complaints are kind of common. It was like, oh, well, Mr. Moneybags over here, of course he's going to win. I would just, I, w- I would love if that wasn't a factor in the format anymore. Yeah, I th- yeah. I do think it really detracts from it. And also, like, I'd like to see everyone have the option to play Mana Crypt. I think, yeah. I think Mana Crypt, whether or not we complain about it, right? I think the card opens up the format. Mana Crypt and, like, all the other zero mana and cheap mana, like, very low mana cost mana rocks, really open up the format in a way and make a lot more strategies like somewhat viable. Yeah, it just it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to say, okay, this is EDH. You can play with soul rings, you can play with as many soul rings as you want, but you can't play with mana crypt because it's like a hundred dollars. It's like, well, like is mana crypt I don't even think mana crypt is like that much better than soul ring. Like soul ring is still pretty insane, but it's like why why is one like the poster child of the format and the other one is like inaccessible to everybody except for like a few people that like actually have a whole lot of disposal income you know it's purely money yeah purely money yeah. or good rng that's what i rely yeah, on to get my, that's what that's i rely the, on to get all my cards which you know in some ways it's still disposable income is it income true, is it income i should be disposing of no <laughs> is it income i did dispose of yes <laughs> well hey man You've got uh what was that like a like a six dollar pack? You got an eighty dollar manuscript out of it. That's that's like there you go. That's perfect value. That's sixteen hundred percent ROI, dude. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I I'm going on I'm going on MTG investments right now. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna sure. buy out Giant Shark except for that guy who already did. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, I remember that guy. Um, the market's already okay. cornered. So we've got we've got two more things on the list. All right. take... I already talked about this one earlier. Sukara is so busted. This card is flipping sweet. Mono red is entering a golden age. I can feel it. Play Sukara. Play Storm. It's yeah. amazing. It's it's great. <laughs> Sometimes you feel bad, but then you remember that you just absolutely popped off, and it's like, all right, whatever. Yeah, I'm gonna keep doing my thing. All right, I didn't in the in the same vein as five color being overrated. Monocolor, I think right right about now we're in the golden age. I think monocolor is underrated. That's all I'll say. Yeah, there's a lot to do. There's a lot to do. Um, 
Okay, then the last one, the last one I put on there was tribal, and I put this one on here because I saw like a I saw a post I don't know if it was on like Twitter or Reddit or whatever of a person that was like new to the format, and people were like, oh, um, if you're new, you should just like build tribal because it's really easy to put together. It's like oh, you just play Gisa and Giralf and then play all the blue black zombies. Um, and I think I think that's kind of maybe selling tribal short, and I feel like tribal is often sold short in commander because it's seen as like a deck building crutch when in my opinion like the kinds of restrictions that are put on you by tribal cards breed a lot of creativity and also kind of uh invite you to like explore different uh aspects of the card pool or like different areas of the card pool that you wouldn't normally get into um i don't know that's my that's my little tribal rant i mean so what i like especially like the idea of like zombies right you just like throw all the blue black zombies in. there are so many options yeah, like there were actually combo zombies. Yeah, you can go combo zombies. There were there, there were different types of zombie strategies, right? You can go tokens. You can go zombie mill. You can like do life loss based on zombie stuff like that. You can do sacrifice theme. I mean, and it's what's very cool about tribes is that they often have ways of wrapping these multiple strategies, these multiple lanes of play into uh, one cohesive package. Yeah. Yeah. Which is just super cool. It's like it's like you're 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 getting this, and, and it's it's obviously you have to make choices, but like in a lot of ways, the blueprint is there for you. You are just building the house or the deck. <laughs> yeah, I mean it is. Um, like I've been building a lot of. You have decks. been building. <laughs> I, it's, I think it's fun. Like there's these cards that I would never think to include anywhere, but in this like one situation, because it was printed like. 16 years ago and it, and it like randomly has this creature tribe on it then it's relevant now i think um yeah like getting to explore that stuff is very cool and just getting being able to i don't know like like uh having all your cards be the same thing is just nice it's just fun it's just good to have i don't know i really wish grave titan had the tagline zombie on it yeah i mean it makes zombies right yeah why why that one specifically? I don't know. I've always kind of wanted to build a zombie deck. And I never have. <laughs> it's just like, I like zombies as a tribe. I like yeah. especially the Innistrad zombies. I think, yeah, those are cool. Those are I cool. think their aesthetic is just like spot on. I think you should do it, dude. Go for it. All right. Wow. You've encouraged <laughs> me. I'm going to do it. Are I actually... combo zombies? No. I'm going to try and not build combo. I think I might build Verena. The Esper. Simon, are you telling me that you're leaning into the combat step in the tribal deck? Yeah. Or, oh, you know, the, maybe more of a <laughs> sacrifice thing. Oh, my God. Nevinyaro is a zombie? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. Even, like, like, noticing that, well, that kind of stuff is interesting to me. But That card single-handedly ruined Commander Legends drafts online. <laughs> you played one draft, okay? And it was awful. I played against it multiple times. Wait, do you only get to play one game if you... No, it was, it was multiple games. It was like two... Okay. I think I played two games and I saw him twice and he just won. Out. Unbeatable. Completely that unbeatable. Seems to be the meta. That seems to be the meta. Because, but... like, having a repeatable... Any repeatable board wipe in draft is just like... Yeah, board, wipe, board wipes in draft should be illegal, honestly. And the board wipe that gives you two twos for everything yeah. creature you destroy. Like, that's crazy. It's insane. Yeah. I agree. I totally agree. Tribal, <laughs> tribal underrated. I'm feeling fired up. I think this is a great place to end. Get out there. Get <laughs> out too, there man. and just, like, let the gears turn. Yeah. All right, Daniel. 
if you uh if you want to roast me about why my opinions are bad hit me up on twitter i don't care yeah good luck finding me on twitter <laughs> I'll, I'll i'll leak uh i'll leak your hometown and your twitter name okay oh don't do that <laughs> that'll really narrow, right. that'll really narrow me down <laughs> well uh until next time until this next time, is the podcast